Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. And usually people who don't want to change anything, you know, they don't realize that all the story of the church is about telling the same story, the same mystery of Jesus Christ, but in different approach and languages, because that's the only way to be with the people. If our holy and apostolic church is a pilgrim church, then it has to be on the move. Like Jesus on the road to Emmaus, this year the church has been asking God's people What are you discussing as you walk along? That's the spirit of the synod and synodality that we've been doing all year, and that one of its leaders, Sister Natalie Beckhart, explained to me this morning from Rome, as we discussed her mission and the synod's working document for the continental stage, Enlarge the Space of Your Tent, a title which reflects the Church's aspirations of movement, flexibility, and radical inclusion. On Almost Good Catholic. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Lodinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the big questions to discuss what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, I have the very high honor to speak with Sister Nathalie Becker, a religious sister in the Congregation of Xavier's, La Congregation La Xavier Missionnaire du Christ Jésus. She is the undersecretary of the Synod of Bishops, the first woman to have this post and the first woman who has the right to vote in the Catholic Synod of Bishops. Before that, she was consultor to the General Secretariat of the Synod of Bishops, and before that, she worked in youth ministry uh, with the French scouting movement, the Scout de France. She studied entrepreneurship at the HEC um, Paris, École des Hautes Études Commerciales de Paris, and has a master's degree in management and communication. She's also worked in Lebanon as a volunteer. So welcome, Sister Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for your invitation, and uh, I'm happy to connect with all those who are listening. Wonderful. Do you have a, a funny story you'd like to share? Well, it's a kind of uh, yes, of story. You know, uh, I am in charge with the secretary of the synod of this big synodal process all around mm-hmm. the world. And I often speak about synodality, a way to be church together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, I say, in a way, synodality begins with a coffee. You know, it's this style. And uh, during a podcast, I shared that. And some of the listeners from the United States heard me. And then he had the idea for his diocese to prepare a 60,000 cup of coffee to invite oh, wow. all the people on the pews to go and have synodal conversation with the coffee with uh, pe- uh, other people. 
Oh, that's so that's. It was, it was rather funny, you know, what a podcast could do. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I'm in California, so it's early in the morning here, even though it's afternoon in Rome. So I am having coffee with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a different way to break bread, I suppose. Would you Would you tell us about your life and your journey and how you found your vocation? Who are the congregation of Xavier and who was Claire Monest? Yeah, so I grew up in France. Uh, I am the uh, eldest of five in a Catholic mm. family. I went to Catholic school. I was also part of the Catholic Scout movement uh, involved in my parishes, uh, in liturgy, as I played the recorder. So I grew up in this kind of a Catholic environment with uh, my parents who were rather committed uh, to the church. <clears throat> And then as a student, I studied in a business school. And um, at the end of my studies, I began to think more about, well, what is the meaning of life? Uh, mm. What I am called to be or to become? Uh, what is my vocation? Uh, and especially because one of my friends told me one day, oh, you know, as Christians, uh, we have to discern our vocation because we can get married, but we can also get uh, become consecrated people or if you mm -hmm. are a man, go to the become a priest. Uh, during many, many years, I just thought about myself uh, for the future as a, a married woman with children. But during, mm -hmm. so during these studies, and especially at the end of my studies, I began to think more about, in fact, my call, what is my vocation. And I went to Lebanon, as you mentioned, um, to do volunteer work during one year. It was in 1992. And uh, just after the civil war in Lebanon. And there I had a lot of meetings with, uh, you know, people from Lebanon, priests, religious, sisters. Uh, I was teaching in school. And I began to realize that um, as I was from France, a, a country uh, with peace, I had received good education. I was, uh, you know, in a, in a family with um, not many problems. So I have received a lot. And I discovered mm -hmm. in Lebanon, uh, praying also more and more to try to listen to Christ, that in fact, the meaning of life is to give back what you have mm. received. There is no other sense, uh, other meanings to receive uh, gift or receive uh, experiences if, if it's not to serve the other. So that's also through listening the witness of other religious that I began to think more about a call for consecrated life. Then after Lebanon, I went back to France. I began to work in a marketing communication agency, still discerning my call. And finally, I entered the Xavier sister. So to put it into a nutshell, we, we are um, an apostolic order living in community, but each sister has a ministry in different places or uh, different fields. But we mm -hmm. are very much rooted in St. Ignatius of Loyola uh, spirituality. So we are close to the Jesuits. A way to say is that we are one of the female versions of the Jesuits. And our community was founded by Claire Monestes, our foundress, in 1921. So just mm -hmm. a more than uh, 100 years ago. Yeah, happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah. So is there something special about working with young people, um, with the Scouts? I, when I was younger, I spent many years happily involved in the Boy Scouts, uh, which was a formative time for me. And now that I have a son who is 10 years old, I find myself as a, as a leader in the Scouts. And I know the Scouts often have um, youth um, uh, summits and gatherings, and so does the Catholic Church. And both of these wonderful organizations emphasize what young people can do for the future. What What do you think about this? Yes, I think the really I have received a lot through the Scouts, and uh, they have a wonderful pedagogy based really on also being together as a community, as a team. Uh, learning together, uh, giving responsibility to young people, uh, mm -hmm. discovering also the creation, the nature. Um, so it's really incredible because, you know, the scouts were founded by Baden Powell also at the mm -hmm. beginning of the 20th century. And now you have scouts and girl guides all over the world in all countries, almost all countries. And uh, in France, we have a, a strong Catholic uh, scout movement. Um, so I have been part of, of this. It's it's really a, a great place for children to grow um, and to to learn how to become, uh, you know, someone to serve the other, uh, mm -hmm. and also to discover more your spiritual dimension. Because scouting, the pedagogy is a, about looking at the kids, you know, mm -hmm. with an integral mm -hmm. vision. Uh, so it uh, integrates all the dimensions uh, of your life. And for the church in France, but also in many other countries, it's, it's really a place where the church connects with young people, accompanies them, helps them to grow, and also to discern their vocation. Aha. Um, thank you. Uh, tell us about your work in the Vatican. Last year, the Holy Father appointed you Undersecretary of the Synod of Bishops. Very significant, since you're the first woman in history to have this role and also to vote with the bishops. What is, what is this role? What does it mean? What is your job? Well, uh, I will begin to explain what is the General Secretariat of the Synod. It's a kind of instrument uh, created by uh, Paul, the Pope uh, Paul VI at the end of mm -hmm. the Second Vatican Council. During the Second Vatican Council, all the bishops from all over the world gathered in Rome during uh, a few years to discern on some major topics and ways for the Church to continue our mission in the in the world. And the Pope um, has decided to have a synod uh, of bishops to continue to have a consultative body with him uh, to discern about important topics and issues. So since then, the Secretariat of the Synod had been, has been entrusted by the Pope, who is the president of the Synod, you know, to organize all these synods that are gathering of bishops mm -hmm. from all over the world to uh, focus and discern together with the Pope about uh, an issue or another. So uh, concretely, we are a, um, a permanent body now uh, at the Vatican, 14 people working there. Cardinal Mario Grec is the general secretary who is leading the, the secretary of the Synod directly under the presidency of Pope Francis. And as undersecretary, uh, you know, I am number two with him and there is mm -hmm. also another undersecretary, Bishop Wismarin. 
And with the team and all the people in our commission, we are trying to accompany, to lead uh, the synod that now all the church is living. It was open in October um, 21, so almost mm -hmm. one year ago, with a process of consultation of all the baptized all over the world. So we are now in the second stage of this big uh, global synod uh, titled For a Synodal Church, Communion, Participation, Mission. And it's the first time in all the history of the church that there is such a consultation to listen to all the voices, all uh, the baptized, all the people. Uh, the message is that to be the church to serve people today, we need uh, the participation of all. Nobody is a mere extra. We are all called to be protagonists and to be a synodal church means to be a listening church, to be a learning church, and it means especially to journey together. I heard you say elsewhere that uh, synod and church are synonyms, and um, I thought about that, and I had to look at both words, and I found that synod means uh, sin together, hodos, the way, finding the way together, and church, ecclesia, uh, ek, out, and ecclesia, to be called. So I, I see why you say that they are synonyms, but traditionally, a synod has been a gathering of bishops, and this synod is asking all the people, millions of people all around the world, is this a new way to do it or has this always been true? Well, in fact, uh, when you, you know, it's very important with the synod, we rediscover in a way that synodality is a constitutive dimension of the church. So the mystery of the church is um, to be, uh, we can, we say as the council, Second Vatican Council uh, states that the church is the body of Christ, the temple of the spirit, the people of God. So being and becoming uh, more Synodal Church, it is about living uh, the church and being the church as people of God all together on the road as missionary mm. pilgrims. And synodality was, is truly part of the nature of the church. And in the early church at the beginning, so when the church was founded, we can say after, uh, you know, the death and resurrection of Christ, especially with the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's coming mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all the apostles, the first communities in the early church uh, were really uh, at the experience that they were all together, praying together, uh, sharing everything, being a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. And the, the governance, we can say, of the early church was really synodal in a way um, that everybody uh, as part. And when we speak about the synod, we need to remind that the first synod, in a way, it's, we call it Council of Jerusalem, because the word you mentioned, synod in Greek, synodos, is the same as the word concilium in Latin, that means mm. council. And if you read the Acts of the Apostle, 
chapter 15, you have the story of the first council of Jerusalem that happened because there was a conflict. There was uh, among the first communities, they didn't agree uh, about the people who were not already Jews who want to follow Christ. And at the beginning, most of the first uh, followers of Jesus, they were, they were Jews. So they were mm-hmm. circumcised. So then there was this big issue. Do those who are not Jews need to be circumcised to follow Christ or not? And as they disagree, they decided to come together, to pray together, to discern. And at the end, they found a consensus to decide together. That's synodality. It's, mm-hmm. it's a style of a discerning together through a journey together, through a prayer together. But then, for many historical reasons, I won't uh, explain much, but <laughs> we had the experience, you know, to emphasize the hierarchical dimension of the church. That is also there from the beginning. Uh, but the church is both uh, hierarchical and um, horizontal as a, a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Second Vatican Council has put the light that we are first all together baptized. Uh, and then there are differences of roles, positions. So becoming more a more synodal church today is about retrieving the style of the early church as a fruit of the Second Vatican Council, because we have inherited for many historical reasons, as I have said, um, as, uh, and we still very often look at the church with a mindset that is very hierarchical. And we think the Pope mm-hmm. is above the, the bishops who are above the priest and, and the, uh, just the simple faithful are at the bottom. But no, we are all together mm-hmm. equal as baptized. Mm-hmm. We have an equal dignity. And uh, it's, there are very strong statements like this in the documents of the Second Vatican Council. So it's, you know, about retrieving the true nature of the church. And synodality, we can say, is a way to look at the church, not in a theoretical way, <laughs> but mm-hmm. in a dynamic way as the church in history, in this context, in this moment, and we have understood as church nowadays that uh, in our world, in our society, the only way to be the same church from the beginning, to continue to proclaim the gospel and to transmit the faith, is to become more synodal, to emphasize, you know, this horizontal dimension of us mm-hmm. as a community. Mm-hmm. And where do you think the church is going? Well, (laughs) the the truth is that the church is uh, on pilgrimage on this earth uh, to uh, journey toward uh, the kingdom of God and to be, uh, so we know that's the, uh, you know, the perspective. But how to implement synodality, how it's a process of conversion, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. a process of change, and we have to discern it together uh, listening to the Holy Spirit. And if you really listen to the Holy Spirit, you don't know in advance where it will go. <laughs> so you need to be very confident uh, that, you know, uh, we have discerned that synodality is the call of God for the church in the third millennium. 
So mm -hmm. uh, it's doing uh, this synodal journey together is really about answering uh, the call of God, doing the will of God. But it's an open path. It's a creative path because it's a path of conversion and of change. And we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. So you don't know in advance. And I can come back to the experience uh, you asked me when I was appointed, you know, at the Vatican to become undersecretary, at the secretary of the Synod. I never, never imagined that before. It was a I... great, great surprise. <laughs> uh, yes. But at the same time, when I received the call from Pope Francis that uh, I received as a call of the church, a call of God, and I could process this big surprise, I realized that all the experience I had in my life, my formation, I, um, just before I, have a, I was in the United States in Boston College to do a research on synods and synodality. So, you know, I understood that the big surprise of the Holy Spirit is not coming. It's not just to take you, uh, to, to put you in something, you know, completely unknown. And No, it's, it's, it's a way to unify you and to take you with all you are, but mm -hmm. in a new place. And I think that's, that's for the church. It's about being the same church from the beginning, but uh, in another context and in other history, because we are no longer in the Middle Age, we are no longer mm -hmm. in the uh, 19th century. So uh, we, are, and you know that we are in a very uh, changing world with so many crises and things. So we need to continue to proclaim the gospel, learning the language of today also. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a that's such a good point. Is this you, there's a surprise, the element of surprise that you describe, and I'm sure at that first Council of Jerusalem, uh, when when those apostles discerned what the Spirit was saying, some of them were very very surprised. What do you mean we don't have to be circumcised? We even see how Peter and Paul disagreed about keeping kosher rules and things like that in the first century, um, but they discerned it where you know where two or three are gathered in my name, sort of an idea. So I. I participated uh, about a year ago in the synodal listening sessions in my parish here in Northern California, and I, um, our parish priest was in that meeting. It was a Zoom meeting, I'm afraid, because that's where we were last year. And I heard uh, my fellow California Catholics um, talk about the things that were close to their heart, and they were they were interested in women's ordination, in the inclusion of gay Catholics, uh, concerns about different kinds of abuse scandals, and my impression. Um, is that these are not the common concerns of the of uh, I mean that they are the common concerns of people in the United States, in Europe, in in you know other places in North America and and um, the the West, shall we say? But um, I've also heard appeals for the return of the Latin Mass uh, and and things like that. And when I read the working document that was just published a couple of weeks ago, I see that people from all over the world, our, our brothers and sisters in the church, have very different. Very different things close to their hearts. What what have you discovered by listening to the voices of Catholics all around the world? Are there big threads that unite us, or is it just regionally different because of the societies and the politics of the local place? Well, I, I would say it's it's both in a way because you know, as the Catholic all around the world, we share, uh, you know, we share the creed together, uh, the importance of the liturgy. Um, 
But at the same time, as you as you said, and, and uh, I discover that more and more because you know the, the great gift of working at the Vatican, you mm -hmm. are connected with the churches, the local churches all over the world. And I travel mm -hmm. a lot also. I, I we meet people in Rome who are coming from everywhere. Every day we are connected, you know, with one continent and another. So I really realize how each local church is also very much shaped by the culture, by the context, by the history, by uh, the situation. And, and we can say that for United States, the church is not, you know, uh, um, on the moon. <laughs> uh, so uh, people who are part of the church, they are part of uh, the society. And it's true that if you compare, you know, the church in China, the church in the United States, the church in Brazil or in, uh, I would say, Kenya, you know, the, mm -hmm. the context, the cultures are very, very different. So you have different ways of expressing the same face. And we can remember also that from the beginning, you know, in the Bible, uh, in the, you have four Gospels to express and to tell the same story. But the, uh, the four Gospels didn't tell the story of Jesus exactly in the same way, because it, it each gospel was, uh, came, we can say, from the experience of a particular community. The gospel of Luke, it's more communities with Greeks. The gospel of Matthew, with people who were first mm. Jews. So um, we can see that also today, that we share a lot in common, but then there is also a great diversity because mm -hmm. of the context, culture, uh, socio-economical, political situations. And that's for me really also the beauty of the mystery of the church. It's the same church, all the followers of Christ baptized, but uh, you, you never have the face in a pure uh, idealistic uh, expression. It's mm -hmm. always embedded in a specific culture and in a specific language. So we see that through all the listener, the synodal consultation. And for instance, you mentioned we can speak about the topic of women. It's really a common trend coming from everywhere. Uh, mm. There is a strong call for a conversion of the church culture, for more women participation, uh, because it's also uh, an issue in most of our society, how mm -hmm. to, to have more, more equality, we can say, uh, uh, between men and women. It's not only in the church, it's also in the, in the society. But then you can see the diversity in the way people envision some possible uh, paths or some possible answers. You know, not uh, all the Christians uh, ask for women and ordination. For others, it's completely something else. So that's why um, I, I can mention also a big issue that we are all facing that is coming also through the synodal consultation is the concerns uh, about climate change, the environment, uh, the ecological conversion, but we are not experiencing 
experiencing it exactly in the same way. But for instance, in Oceania, when you read the reports from the synod in Oceania, for them it's a matter of life and death because you have some islands, you know, who are disappearing because of mm. the, the sea, uh, uh, the rise of the sea. So uh, that are some kind of examples, but there are, we were surprised also to see many, many common trends. Yeah, and I think because the world changed for a long time, the world was changing very slowly, right? If you say take uh, you know France in the year um, eight hundred with Charlemagne, and France in the year eighteen hundred with Napoleon, it still was one king and one army and a bunch of aristocrats, or at least before the revolution and so on. And normal people did their work, and women had the children, and the men worked on the farm, and and that sort of thing, and. Maybe technology changed in a thousand years, but not enough to change um, the the, fa- the politics of the family and the village. But in the last 100 years, everything has changed and women have all kinds of jobs and men can stay home and feed their children with uh, a, a bottle instead of with uh, at the breast. And um, w- women are active in, in political leadership. And so whereas the church used to be in front of the society with women having great roles of authority, say Catherine of Siena or um, Teresa of Avila and a lot of dignity. And it insisted on the equality and the dignity of women way before the rest of society. Now society has moved so quickly. Is this the correct response? Let's figure out where we should go and discern together. Or a critic would say, we are just following the secular world and trying to mimic them rather than keeping to our original um, our original mission. Yes, in a way, you know, that's, uh, we can say, a kind of tension. Or From the beginning, you have this uh, strong statement uh, from the early church to um, talk about the Christians as being in the world, <laughs> Mm-hmm. among the, the people, but not from the world. Mm-hmm. So it's how, because we don't live, as I say, we don't live on uh, on the moon or on the another planet. We live here. So yes, that's yes. where we have to be uh, Christians. Uh, and, and Christianity is uh, the religion of the incarnation. You know, Jesus Christ uh, was born in a specific place uh, place uh, and lived in a specific uh, context uh, and he was speaking the language of the people where he was born Mm -hmm. but at the same time he's the son of God and uh, as church we can say the church is a a human and divine mystery so we are the church of Christ but we are called uh, to, to be the church in this world uh, but we are we we can't compare the church to any other organization because we are not just uh, human. <laughs> so it's not about becoming a worldly church, but mm-hmm. it's about becoming the Church of Christ, the the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, and the people of God among all the people of the earth and uh, among the society. So that's why it's a matter of discernment. 
But you can't, uh, you know, you are in the United States. If you want to talk to the people, uh, you have to, to speak English or mm-hmm. now more and more Spanish in many mm-hmm. places. <laughs> But if, if you speak to them in Chinese or in... Uh, uh, Aramaic, you Latin. Know, they, they want <laughs> so it's about that. It's about what uh, from the beginning the church has done uh, a path of inculturation. <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and uh, when you look at the early church, you know, the, the first Christians, they tried to explain the mystery of Jesus Christ uh, in the, the language and the, the way people thought in the Greek areas. Or, <laughs> uh, and usually people who don't want to change anything, you know, they don't realize that all the history of the church is about telling the same story, the same mystery of Jesus Christ, but in different approach and languages, because that's the only way to be with the people. And the image really to explain what is a synodal church is the road of Emmaus. I think everybody mm-hmm. knows this passage at the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke. You know, um, it's after the death of, of uh, Jesus and, and uh, the risen Christ is coming on the road of Emmaus where the two disciples are and he begins to listen to them and then he explains the scripture to them and he goes where they are, <laughs> not even if it's the wrong way. So that's, you know, we are called to be this uh, church of Jesus Christ, this listening church with the same, Jesus is our model. And and, uh, it's about being like Jesus in this world. But there are many issues, you know, Jesus didn't face directly at this time. So yeah. you, you have to be to discern to 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 first from meditating, praying, reading the Bible and the Gospels, but you can't just copy and paste mm-hmm. because we are no longer in uh, in Galilee in a very uh, rural. Uh, culture, uh, you know, when you are living and trying to be a, a witness of faith in a big city in the United States, yeah. it, in a way it's very different from the first communities. But you can be inspired and try to understand. Uh, and for instance, it's very interesting, all the letters of St. Paul, you know, uh, the way mm-hmm. St. Paul uh, kept contact with the communities he went to found or to visit, uh, he wrote some letters with the, the way to write uh, letters in his time. He has learned the rhetoric <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and you can compare that. So th- that's a, the same we have to do today, uh, no longer maybe with letters, but with the uh, internet, Twitter, uh, the radio. <laughs> It's also yeah. that because God has no other... Um, mouse than our, no other eyes than mm-hmm. our, no other hands to be with the people than our. Mm-hmm. That, I, I hear at least two very interesting things you said. One is that Jesus always listens first and he comes alongside people before he starts to lead them. And I think it was the gospel, was it yesterday or two days ago, where um, Zacchaeus climbs the tree and Jesus stops Find, sees him, says, I'm coming to your house. 
So he, he listens first, and it doesn't mean he will change his mind. It's just we should listen in order to understand the correct terms or hear people's problems. And Jesus knows everything, but we sure don't, <laughs> even though we um, try to imitate him all the time. And the second interesting point is, the, as you, as you said already, uh, we are a pilgrim church and we're moving. And your working document that you published is called Enlarge Your Tent. And the tent is a temporary structure. And I think often we, at least here in the West, imagine uh, a church is something made of stone and it does not change, but not not in your imagery. You have chosen a tent from from Isaiah, which is something that that is that can be changed, that can be enlarged. Uh, talk about the tent, and also your emphasis on radical inclusion that everyone is welcome, and we're not afraid that that we're not afraid that incorrect views might change our our beliefs. Yes, uh, thank you for uh, highlighting this uh, beautiful image that came uh, for the drafting of the working document for the continental stage. So this document is tried to give an echo of all the listening of the people of God all around the world. And already what came from everywhere is that people are asking for a more listening church a relational church, a, a welcoming church, an inclusive church. And the, it, it's, I often speak about the call for the church today in a way because our world, as you, as you said, is a, very, is a changing world and it's changing very fast. And the way we operate in, in the society, it's, it's no longer, you know, with uh, things that are very fixed. <laughs> mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, and we experience many crises, the pandemic, you know, we would never have imagined that before. But then you have to continue to be the church in uh, in a time of uh, pandemic. So how do you do? Um, So it's true that we really feel that we need to be a church on the move. And uh, we have inherited beautiful cathedrals uh, in Europe and uh, other places, you know, in stone, and, and it's it's very good. But uh, if you have less and less people in the in the parish mass or in in the in the cathedral, you need also to go where the people <laughs> are. You know, that's true. And so we have also to understand that, uh, as I say. Uh, it's part of the church, you know, to journey with the people as uh, Jesus Christ went to journey. And um, we can remember where uh, the Son of God uh, uh, was born. You know, it was not in a beautiful uh, uh, house in stone. It, it mm-hmm. was in a very precarious, uh, precarious way. So, um, yes, I, I think this image can help us to understand that we need ready to enlarge our uh, the space of our tent. Uh, to be with the people, to to really testimony uh, um, about Christ and and to to listen to them because that's the way you know and you can see in all the gospels that's the style of Jesus. Uh, 
And uh, as you say, you can't really explain and, and say something to the people if you know them. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know that, you know, for instance, in education or in, uh, I often say, you, you mentioned you have a son, um, in a way, family is the first school of synodality. Uh, and the mm. first image for the church, in a way, because that's where you learn uh, to listen to, to dialogue. Uh, and uh, and the family is, is a, a beautiful image for a, a kind, it's the first community. It's a community of life and love. And our God is a God of love. So it's mm -hmm. about how you share the, this love of God and you help people to understand that uh, Christ loves them, Christ wants to save them, uh, and Christ wants them to be alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that you have, you have another meeting in a few minutes, um, and I will attach this Uh, this report, Enlarge Your Tent, in the notes. So I really encourage our listeners. It's a very short document. It's very accessible. And it was super interesting for me to hear what people are saying all over the world. There are places where the church is facing violence. There are places where the um, church has uh, concerns that are not true in the United States. Sometimes I fear that our church is too soft, that we are um, like the church in Laodicea. We have become lukewarm. Or there's other places where being a Christian is life or death. Um, uh, there's people in Haiti, people in Cameroon, people like that, and in Pakistan, and they've all participated in the Synod. Um, before we stop, could you please tell us what will happen next? Now we have this working document. It will go to, is it, will it go to uh, the continental meetings and then back to the people? What's the next steps for the Synod and Synodality? Yes, it's true that uh, now uh, this document coming from all this listening everywhere is a document to sustain and support the continental stage of the Synod. Uh, that is about uh, deepening our listening a deepening a dialogue, a discernment, and between February and March, there will be continental meetings, continental synodal meetings with some delegates in all continents. So for North America, it will be a, a process, a synodal meeting uh, with the uh, United States and Canada. Um, and this working document is the document to prepare the continental meetings And each continental meeting, like the one for North America, will have to draft a final document as a kind of resonance to this uh, working document. So people are invited to read it, uh, to express if they, feel, if they feel they have been really listened to, if they want to highlight one or another point, if they feel something is missing. And uh, those who will participate uh, to the continental meetings, that will be um, an ecclesial assembly with representatives of all the people of God. So not only bishops and priests, but also lay people, uh, men and women, young people, people from the margin uh, will gather. And with all the final documents, uh, we will draft in our secretariat another working document for the assembly of the bishops in Rome in October 23. But it's a process, it's not only 
process coming from the grassroots. It's really the image. It, it's a circular process uh, to really foster mutual listening, dialogue, dialogue also among local churches, among uh, the diversity of people in each church. So we really encourage you to read it and to uh, to, to gather and to, to experience the synodal methodology that is really a kind of spiritual conversation where each body can really express his voice and we listen to everybody and we put the listening of the word of God at the center. Wonderful. Perfect. So I will say I wish you a beautiful afternoon in Rome and I thank you so much for sharing this time with with me and with all our listeners and may God bless you and your work. And would you close with a blessing for our listeners, for our families, for our church, for the world? Yes, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, so, Lord, we praise you for this time together. Uh, and uh, Lord, bless all those who are here, who are listening uh, to this podcast. Uh, give them your light, your joy, your peace to them, their families, the people they are living with so that we continue all together to do this journey together, really listening to your voice and trying to discern how to be the disciple uh, of your son, Jesus, on this earth. Amen. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross, be born for me. Chris Udinitz and Sister Natalie Beckhart recorded this conversation on Thursday, November 17, 2022, the feast day of St. Elizabeth of Hungary, who prayed 800 years ago, As in heaven your will is punctually performed, so may it be done on earth by all creatures, particularly in me and by me. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster. Check them out at gscoasterband.com. And our logo is from the website of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales at english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz. I thank you for listening. I encourage you to email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I'll talk to you soon. Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing.